Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Alrighty, so today we're planning on talking about uh, Microsoft certifications, specifically Azure certifications. So Tobias, what have you been up to lately? So first of all, certifications is an awesome topic. Uh, I can't wait to pick your brain a bit on that. Um, but in, in recent news, what I'm up to is we actually moved from Slack to Teams. For the whole, and, for the whole company? Yeah. Did you uh, did you get rid of Slack at the same time, or you're keeping <laughs> that as as a kind oh, of no. escape route? Exactly, you always need a way out. Uh, no, I mean we have a lot of archived dialogues that is on Slack, so obviously we we keep that around right now. But we are closing down that um, as much as we can and moving things over in a structured way to to Teams. And I did gave that a couple of tries in the past because I am invited to a bunch of different external teams uh, or as an external. And, you know, it never really clicked with me. It was clunky and it was difficult to use and it was not very quick and responsive. Today, when I try it, it's quite different. It is quicker. It is actually responding when I'm asking it to do something. If I'm switching the channel, if I'm going to the chat window, whatever, that works now. Because the last time we tried that, it took three or four seconds to load every single thing I, I clicked on. And that's not a good experience. But now it's everything is just working. I've got my files. I've got my planner. Uh, you know, all this stuff in my Teams. So, I mean, I'm locking myself into Teams and I'm I'm sold. Yep. I like it. I really like it. I've been I've been using Slack on and off for quite some time now. But that's mostly been for community-driven uh, networks and different user groups and different loosely based collaborations with different people and we just spin up this ad hoc Slack channel. One of the things that I've always struggled with Slack has been that if I'm not following up, I don't have the Slack client running, I'm concentrating on, on actually getting stuff done, then somebody pings me on, on WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger or email and asks, Yusuf, why aren't you responding to my messages on Slack? I open the client and there's like five messages, but I don't get a notification for those outside the client. And moving to Teams, I started using Teams when it became publicly available. I think it was in 2016, November. They announced that uh, through an online event and, and I was doing like F5 insanely fast to see when my tenant would be updated to actually have the team's controls. And I switched at the time my whole company to teams from Slack, although we weren't really using Slack that much. We were mostly on Yammer. I switched to teams overnight and I sent an email to everybody in the company. Okay, listen now, we are using teams. You can get the client here. This is the address and, and off we go. So, I'll see you there. <laughs> yeah, and and somebody somebody called me from my company the next morning and said, "You see, yes, we know this is an agile company and and we do bleeding edge stuff, but this is a little bit too fast for us. Can you just like slow down a bit and let's think about this first? And and for Teams, I really like the client now. It's it's much better than what it was two years ago, but at the same time, I'm I'm struggling a bit 
uh, in, in a way similar to how I'm struggling with Outlook on my mobile phone. Somebody sends me an email, like an old-fashioned email. People still do those. Uh, and they are asking, should we meet Monday at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock? Then I need to back out from the email, click the calendar icon, scroll to Monday. Okay, I can do Monday at 2 o'clock. Then I need to back off from the calendar, hop back to the email. And this context switching kind of takes away the fun in the productivity tools. And I think for teams, it's a little bit the same that you're in one chat, you need to check on something else. You kind of need to leave that tab away, navigate elsewhere. How do I get back to the chat that I was doing? (laughs) Yeah. And and I mean, I like the keyboard short, shortcuts and all this. I, I was an avid keyboard shortcut user in Slack, and I'm learning them in Teams, and it's pretty straightforward. One thing that I missed in both of those tools, um, now that you mentioned that with the mobile app for Outlook, because I have the same issue, is I would really like to have like pinned tabs or something like this. So I, in, in Teams, could say, this is my one of my favorite tabs. Here's my planner board. I use it every day, maybe 100 times yep. or 10 times, whatever. But I want that to be... I just click it right there and it's already loaded. It's just in a different view. And then I can navigate around without that going away. But I'm I'm sure someone put that on user voice already. Uh, it could be there. I, I did see on Twitter, I think yesterday, that somebody said that pinned channels are about to become available in the, in the next weeks or months. I didn't really look that specifically in that. But I like that Microsoft owns the, the client and the client framework uh, besides Electron. And they can keep on adding stuff. But that kind of introduces the second challenge that I have. I run office clients, the rich clients on all of my workstations. And I am on the, uh, on. they keep changing the channel names, but the one that updates on a monthly basis and you get all the latest and greatest things uh, for your office apps. So for Outlook, they move the, the universal search from above your list of emails all the way up above the the menus and if i do a search now i always click ctrl e to activate search i start typing something and there's this autocomplete and the whole autocomplete window it fills all of my emails that i'm actually searching for and like okay (laughs) i i like that you're introducing new stuff but did anybody really use this first to see is it blocking something that wasn't previously blocked when I had this exact same functionality just two I mean, hours usability ago. Usability test, it's a, it's a thing of the past, right? If it builds, let's ship it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I'm quite sure they'll keep on changing the search box location in the, in the coming builds, and that's fine. I'm used to it, but still, when you're in a hurry, you need to get stuff done. Something is not working like it used to. The, the alternative explanation is that I'm becoming old and I don't like change anymore. Yeah, fair points. Um, speaking of Microsoft certifications that, <clears throat> that we're talking about in this episode, before we we jump into that, you know what what have you done lately? I mean, my move to Teams obviously is a big thing for us, but uh, anything cool happening on your side? Uh, yeah, I've been I've been spending a bit more time, and when I mean a bit more time, meaning hours and hours uh, on using or, or getting to know .NET Core three that recently became uh, ready, if you will. Uh, and I've been using .NET since the very first versions. And before that, I did C++ and Turbo Pascal and Assembler, all the great languages at the time. And, and with .NET Core 3, 
it introduces so much great things that I have no use for because my code is relatively simple oftentimes. I do a lot of proof of concepts and tests and demos, not production code. And one of the things that I wanted to build was uh, a command line tool because I'm old school. I love command line tools. I wanted to build a command line tool for manipulating my tasks, my to-do items in Microsoft To-Do. And in order for that to happen, I found out in Microsoft Graph, the the one API to rule them all, uh, that in preview or in the beta uh, stack of APIs, they actually have Outlook tasks that synchronize back to To-Do. So I cannot manipulate the To-Do items directly, but to Outlook, I can. So I've been trying to build this tool for command line where I could do something like to-do.exe, add tomorrow, uh, get more coffee. And that would automatically add a task for me for tomorrow. And, and more or less, it works. But trying to navigate the Microsoft.identity namespace together with Azure AD authentication granting the specific permissions to read and and write on those tasks and still have that authenticate correctly without giving me some random uh, internal error 500s. I think I've spent three or four hours just going through Stack Overflow, Docs Microsoft.com, Graph documentation, Visual Studio IntelliSense to, to, to somehow understand the big picture and I'm not there yet. So it's a positive challenge. But at the same time, it's it's eternally frustrating not to get something so simple running. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty interesting approach. Uh, one thing that I did with my to dos is I recently bought a voice activated speaker from Sonos, so I could talk to it and talk to the Google Assistant, and I can tell it, "Hey Google, add a new task," and I tell it what to add, uh, and that just pops up into my boards. I'm not using Microsoft To Do though. Uh, but that was also pretty slick. So there's always different ways to get things done. Yep. But I like this. I like this idea of having a, a CLI just to quickly type type it out because yep. I'm always in my CLIs anyway. Yep. So as soon as you come to think of something, instead of context switching, you just type it straight out. Just to to do add something, to do complete, to do done, to do remove. I'm sure I will get there someday. But for now, I kind of park this problem a bit. I often find that if I hit hit a problem that I'm not able to fix in, in let's say, two calendar days, I just park it, come back to it a week later, and somehow it typically resolves itself. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So certifications. Yeah. Why do I care? Uh, you should care, and this is what I always tell if I meet with Microsoft partners, if I meet with individual IT person devs, is that certifications are are items that you achieve and you complete and pass that will be your personal achievements. They are not something your employer says that you have to do this and, and you unwillingly do something and that's it. But once you pass those, there's some sort of proof that you've at least considered some of the challenges and topics the certifications have. And, and I, I would stress out that doing a certification exam, it takes you about two hours per exam. Doing one doesn't guarantee that, that, that you're the uber master knowing everything about a given topic. 
but it merely means that you've been exposed to uh, a plethora of different topics on a given service or product, meaning that you've thought through more than what you would be exposed to uh, in your own projects. Yeah. So some some kind of proof, at least for your dedication to the cause, if you will. Yeah. And, it, and that they follow you. Also, if you change jobs in the future, they, they follow you, not the employer. Exactly. And nowadays, certifications typically expire after three years. So once you're you're getting close to that that end of the three years, you typically do one more certification, and that gives you an extra year again on on that given given uh, technology. For me, example, uh, I did the uh, uh, I can't even recall what's it, what's it called called again Microsoft certified technology specialist on on collaboration and productivity. So for me, it was SharePoint 2016, it was Office 365. And now I've done all of those. And at the end of this year, I would have to do one more exam to keep it alive for one more year. But the only options that I have are Exchange 2016 or Enterprise Voice using Office Communication Server or <laughs> Skype for Business. Wow. That sounds like a blast. Yeah. And and it's definitely not something I, I plan on working in the future for. So in those circumstances, I am willing to let one of my certificates expire and let go instead of spending hours on studying Sky for Business Enterprise Voice that I know I'm not going to do in the future. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that was super important in the past is this, like you mentioned, partnership with Microsoft for a company. And it, does that still bring value for the company? Like, is the if you're running a, a consultancy or you're an ISV or whatever, does it still make sense to have your employees, you know, target certifications? And is there a, a value as such for the company? There is. Uh, so Microsoft partners ISVs, they can either become uh, Microsoft Partner Network members, silver or gold. And once you go gold means that on, on a given competency, let's say it's going to be productivity or or Azure as, as a cloud service. If you're gold, it also means that you're more serious about those competencies and those exams. So once your employees pass the exams, uh, the company gets to build those competencies. And one could argue that the more competencies you have in gold, the more experienced and, and more skills you have. You know, in a way, yeah, that's how it goes. I think we, at one time, we had 11 or 12 gold competencies in my previous jump uh, company. And, and we were quite good with a lot of things we did, but I, I wouldn't say that we were the best at everything we did, even though we had 11 or 12 different competencies. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so it, so it still does make sense. Um, one thing I'm thinking about, you know, the experience around certifications as such uh, for the person doing the certification that used to be when I did my my SharePoint. I think that at the time that was WSS three or so. Good times. So, yeah, good times. <laughs> so Windows SharePoint Services 3.0 uh, developer certifications, and then the IT Pro ones and. I mean, the, the questions they had, that was the same for years and years and years. And like this certification was kind of outdated. Yeah. 
after after a while and has that changed are they updating the certifications more often now they are they are i don't know the exact cadence but i can also see that if you do an exam today and you do the same exam two months from now uh, obviously you will get a different set of questions the total pool might be limited but randomly you would be, be given different questions, but also that they keep on tweaking and, and changing the requirements for the exams. Uh, I'm looking at some of the exams I've done this year. So I typically try to do maybe four to six exams a year. So one every every second month or so. I did the, uh, uh, the M365, Microsoft 365 Enterprise Administrator, and when I was doing it, and a colleague of mine at the time did it a little bit before me during beta, he had a totally different um, target or a totally different set of questions with, with different weights against what was being uh, asked for. So I concentrated more on authentication and user identities. And for him, it was much more about Intune and mobile device management in general. So that uh, I think that when people do the beta, Microsoft Learning gets to see, of course, all the results, and then they can kind of rebalance those scores, and and perhaps they can take away the hard questions that nobody's able to get right, and maybe remove the super easy ones that everybody always gets right. Yeah, to, yeah, to find the balance. So yeah. that was going to be one of my questions: What's the difference between a preview or beta exam and the released exam? But that's pretty much it. They're testing the the waters to see, you know, what is a good level to, to, to put this certification on. Right? Yeah. And for the preview or betas, uh, you often have more questions. So typically on a, on a regular exam, that's already out in production. I typically see 35 to 55 questions. And for a beta, it could be 80 questions. Wow. But I feel bring more coffee. Yeah. Uh, but I, I feel it's a little bit, bit easier as well. Because with 80 questions, you know that if you can tackle the first 10 or so, you kind of have tested the waters and mentally you can think, I can do this because I've known the first 10. But if you only have 35 and you fail the first two or you feel you're not getting them right, it's, you grow really anxious to wonder what's going to be the next question. How about the 35th question? Is it going to be super, super, super hard, even if they don't gradually grow harder yeah makes sense and when i recently did my az 500 for the what was that called azure certified security engineer associate i think yes. it was a yeah. mouthful <laughs> um when i did that it was exactly like that I, I got some really tricky questions in the beginning and i was my immediate thought was wow oh man i did not prepare enough for this yeah. Uh, because I, I did not score a perfect score on that. I, I barely made it out alive. Um, but exactly that, when, when I got to the last five questions, that was pretty much just tick boxes yeah. uh, and super simple uh, answers. So, you know, that that is pretty cool. And related to that, I, I had one thought when you mentioned before uh, that if you take the exam a bit later, you get different questions. So they do update some things, even if it's the same pool of questions. But one thing I've noticed is I do all my exams online mm -hmm. uh, because I work fully remote, remotely and I 
very seldom go to a certification center because Microsoft does offer you to take them online and they have this online proctor that monitors you from the webcam. Uh, so you have your microphone turned on, you have all the mobile devices, whatever, turned off and moved away, um, and they monitor you from your own webcam. So it's pretty cool. Uh, one thing that I've noticed is I never get any hands-on practical labs when I do that. And when I speak to certain people, they mention that, for example, in the AZ500 mm -hmm. uh, for the security engineering, then they also do some hands-on when they're in a certification center. Is this like a known difference in how you do your certifications? Or is that, have I just been on a, on a roll not to do those hands-ons? Because I really miss that. I want, I want that experience in my certification as well. Uh, AZ500, I did that in end of September. Uh, and that one had some super serious hands-on labs, meaning that it would spin up a browser. Within the browser, they would embed a remote desktop to a real virtual machine running someplace. And, and from there, you had this set of tasks you have to complete. And regardless how you actually complete those, it doesn't matter as long as the end result is something they can measure and, and, and deem that this right. is right. So or they run some API or whatever to, yeah. to check that, did you configure those resources and firewalls and VNets, whatever it is, yep. according to expectations. A exactly. And and that was the first time in, in recent years that I've actually gotten, gotten these real labs. Back in 1990s, uh, some of the labs would be simulations. So you would still be in the in the test exam program, and it would spin up this simulated uh, interface, let's say, to Windows Server, and they would ask you that please create a new website in IIS and have it use SSL. You can find the certificate in C slash temp. I would do it, click OK, everything looks good. I would close, and then it would later say, "Yeah, you failed on this one." I'm like, how did I? How did I fail? Well, you didn't press apply first before you press oh, no. okay. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> no. yeah, it doesn't really matter <laughs> because the end result is the same. But that was the time when they kind of recorded the macros. How did you, which buttons did you click regardless of right. the end result? Got so it. I'm not sure if you do those remotely now that you would kind of get a free pass on the labs. But at least for the recent ones, the, the ones that I've done in late 2019, I am seeing more and more changes as opposed to just having a multiple choice there's much more drag and drops labs uh questions where you lock an answer and you cannot unlock or you cannot move back to verify what did i actually give for question number two right because i and i understand that uh, when i saw that the first time i was a bit surprised but then i understood that some of the questions coming later that they also want to ask you they would give you the answer to whatever you just yeah. answered previously. So I understand why you would lock the, the section down and move on. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it also takes the decision away from myself because otherwise I would take all the questions for review and then I went through them all. <laughs> yeah. And if they just lock it down, you know, there's nothing I can do. I can just hit, okay, I'm done. Let's check it out and see if I pass. Yeah. For me, I typically spend about an hour per exam. So if it's something I think I know, typically on Azure or Microsoft 365, I typically find it's about 45, 50 minutes I'm done. Then I review the ones I can, maybe change a little bit here and there. Uh, and if it's something that forces me to lock down and I cannot go back, 
then obviously I spend a bit more time on, on locking down those those answers as well. But typically I, I try to start at nine o'clock in the morning, have a cup of coffee first, then do the exam. And if I'm feeling really ambitious, I will book another exam for the afternoon. But considering is it wise or not, yes, you're optimizing your time a bit more. If you go to the exam center, it might need mean a bit of commute in the morning. Why not do two or three at the same time? But it's so taxing mentally that that you're spent, you're drained by lunchtime. And if you then think, yeah, let me do another one, it might even be a harder exam. You're you're not at your best to think through the complex scenarios anymore. Yeah. I I've only done two exams in a single day. And and that was challenging enough. And even though the exams themselves were things I've worked with for a long time. Yeah. And each exam in itself were at the point very basic in terms of I had many years of experience and the exam I took was introductory or fundamentals. Uh, but even after taking two of them, like you say, you're, you're mentally drained. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, given the track record you have with taking certifications, what's, what's a recommendation or recommend, recommended approach here? If I want to take six certifications in the coming year, which would be bi-monthly, mm-hmm. How do I plan that? Where do I even start? Uh, obviously, if, if you're planning on doing six, they might include a lot from, let's say, from Azure or 365 or something that aligns the topics for you. So obviously, start with the easiest one. The, the, typically, that's the associate one. For example, for Azure, there's the fundamentals exam, AZ900, which typically is the easiest one. And from there, you can choose if you want to go the IT pro or the dev route or something else like AI or data scientist. Uh, how I plan those up ahead, I always book the exams a month ahead. That way I have a deadline. I know that next month on this Thursday, I really have to do the exam. Mm. Instead, if I book the exam for tomorrow, I, I, I panic more easily and I realize I don't have the time to study anymore. But if I have four weeks, I can still only study on the previous night and spend the whole night reading. But at least I know that mentally I've prepared for this exam for four weeks. Yeah. And you have some times to uh, check out the prerequisites and whatever is required for that exam. And uh, I'm actually booking, what is it, AZ302 or 203, the developer one? Yeah, the 203, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to book that one probably tomorrow or next week yep. since I'm doing them online, it's pretty easy because I go into their schedule and I say, I want to do an exam. Yeah. And they ask you when you want to do it. And I can just select today and it shows me all available slots. And if there's one, I'll just pick it. Cool. Um, So I like that experience. For me, I I go to the uh, exam center. We have uh, maybe five in in Helsinki where I'm based. Uh, I typically select one I've been to before and, and they often have like a given day per week and they have a limited amount of slots. But if I book two, three, four weeks ahead, I can select whichever Thursday or Tuesday, almost whichever time. And I always try to get the 9.30 time. That way I have enough time to drop the kids off to school and kindergarten, go to the test center, have a cup of coffee, meet with people I might know there, and then do the exam and I'm out by lunch. Yeah, nice. Uh, for, Productivity. Yeah, 
op- optimizing the day really uh, and how I prepare uh, I wrote about this in length in in one of my blog articles I'll be sure to add that to the show notes but in essence I try to gather as much data as I can but it doesn't mean I would read everything so uh, back in the day uh, when Cosmos DB was was announced and released uh, I think it was was it in 2015 or 2016 build conference. Back in the day, three years ago, man. Back in the day. (laughs) It feels like... The cloud is agile. (laughs) Uh, I I went to DocsMicrosoft.com, selected Cosmos DB, and and I remember thinking to myself, how hard can this be? Let me just read this two-pager and I'm good. And and on the day of the announcement, they had about 2,500 pages of content, including all the labs. So I downloaded the PDF. So DocsMicrosoft.com, there's always the download as PDF uh, link in the lower left corner. So I click that, I store that PDF locally somewhere, and then I synchronize that with my Kindle or my tablet or my laptop. And when I'm traveling, when I'm commuting to the office or to customers or flying to a conference, I then open those PDFs and kind of start skimming through those. And if the example would be Cosmos DB, uh, I would skim the first few pages here. Yeah, I kind of know what it, what it is. Oh, there's something about the MongoDB API. Let me have a look at this further. And that kind of builds the confidence in me. I know that the, the amount of knowledge I need to get in my head is limited. It's only 2,500 pages. But it doesn't mean that I have to randomly find everything. I know everything. I kind of know the scope by then. And it's one single file. It makes you feel warm inside that I can do this. Yeah. I mean, if if you would have read 2,500 pages, page by page, then, you know, that's that's impressive. Only for, for a single service or a certification. Uh, but, but I like this idea where you kind of browse through it to see if there's any areas you need to improve. And that's similar to what I did with the security exam for Azure. Mm-hmm. I also had, uh, like on docs.com, I, I had a, a bunch of favorites that I bookmarked. I exported them, put them on my Samsung tablet. And then every night I went in there and I brushed through it. Some of the things I've done a lot, so I just skipped that. Some things I had no idea about. So I spent a couple of hours reading through that topic and digging digging deeper into that. Next day, I would do some uh, labs in my Azure portal and the CLI to set them uh, some of those things up. And test out the network and how to limit the networks and whatever it is that I needed to improve my strength on. And and that was a pretty good approach Um, because to me, the goal has never been to pass a certification. It's about learning the contents of why you pass the certification. Because if it's all about getting a badge, then, you know, it doesn't matter. And that's the way it it used to be when I was a consultant Mm -hmm. because all the companies that I worked for, they said, tie your partner or your your Microsoft certification ID to us, and then we'll we'll give you a um, bonus of whatever if you pass the certification, yep. right? So all the consultants that took those certifications, they just did that so they could get the the badge, and then when they had the badge, they got a bonus. Yep. Whereas that's not important to me right now. So what's important is to understand what it's about. Why do I have that badge? Does it actually prove something? Um, and I think maybe today with a, a bit more tricky certifications, it's um, 
yeah, to me, at least it proves to myself that I did study to, to get that. I did study to achieve it and I did achieve it. And and that makes you feel also pretty good about it. Yeah. And I, I also feel that once you study for exams and when you pass an exam, it means you're still capable of learning something new. You're still capable of, of grasping uh, a given set of information, internalizing, ingesting that, applying that in a sort of real-world scenario that the, that the exams quite a bit resemble nowadays. And then, uh, okay, when in my future projects, if somebody's asking asking me about this, I know what it entails, I know how much it costs, and I know how to build stuff around it. It doesn't mean that I know everything about it, but I at least know no, how to you, get started. Need, yeah, and you know where, exactly, you know how to get started, you know where to look for the information, what to look for, yep. because yep. you might know now what's included, what does it entail, yep. what capabilities does it have. And knowing that, then you don't need to know what API endpoint or what API version is used today. Yep. Because you'll figure that out as soon as you start working with it. Funny, funny thing with some of the exams. I think it was the AZ two hundred three, the Azure Developer one that you're planning on doing. Uh, there were a couple of questions uh, that typically show you a lot of code, and they might ask, "What do you add on line 16? And you have six different uh, options, and it's typically a method call to some API, and it could be something like method dot. Uh, uh, identity parenthesis and do you pass on the name or ID or GUID and you're like well I have no idea I cannot memorize all of the namespaces and methods and APIs by heart but reading through the code which you typically do if somebody else has implemented something and you have to understand how it works you read through the code and you kind of get this eye that you can you can think through, yeah, it, it cannot be an ID because here and here we are referring to different sets of properties. So it, it's probably the, the GUID that we're using here. And that's kind of the skill that you build also when you prepare for the exam. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so speaking about certification path, we touched on that a, a little bit. Is that, does it hold any importance or can I just go for random certifications or does it make sense to complete each path one by one or you know what's the recommendation here i i I wouldn't say you have to complete each path i i've met people who who've stated proudly and they should be proud that they've done all the certifications which is fine but then five minutes later you will meet with somebody else and who says yeah but i've done even more okay it's not a competition who has the most (laughs) uh but now that microsoft has shifted more to role-based exams. So if you are a developer, you should aim for the dev exams. If you're an IT pro, do the IT pro exams. If you only work with Office 365 and SharePoint and Teams, perhaps consider the teamwork exams. But it doesn't hurt you for, for you to understand a little bit about, about Azure as well on the side. So, so typically, uh, you have the Azure exams, the data exams, the Microsoft 365 exams, the modern desktop exams, meaning Windows 10 and Intune, Autopilot and all that. Then you have the on-prem servers, and then you have Dynamics 365. So what I've been doing mostly uh, in recent years has been Azure and Microsoft 365 and a little bit of modern desktop as well. So if you plan on working as a data scientist or that's your role today, 
definitely have a look at the data exams and don't worry too much about Windows 10 because that's not something you should be spending time on. But for me, I'm looking at the data and AI exams. There's one that's super interesting. It's the AI 100, designing and implementing an Azure AI solution. So that's something I need to do before end of the year. But at the same time, it's it's grouped together with a lot of data scientist stuff like provisioning SQL databases, developing SQL databases. And I'm not too interested in those. I, I think I have enough skills for what I need. So from this whole bunch of data and AI, I'm simply taking one exam out of the 12 or so that they have available. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So and speaking about taking a lot of exams, my kind of final questions on this topic is, you know, what, what about the pricing today? Is there anything we need to consider there? Uh, as a partner, do you get a reduction? Or is it better to take preview exams? Or how do you, like, what are the pricing options or, or so for, for taking an exam? Because I think when I did it, it was $165 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are there options on the plate for, for that? Sometimes the preview and beta exams are free, but nowadays they give a heavy discount on this because if you get something for free, it's hard to perceive the value anymore. If I give you five vouchers for free to do the exam or if I give you five movie tickets for free, you might not use them before they expire. But if I tell you to pay me 20% of the face value of those tickets or vouchers, then you make an extra effort to actually uh, actually use them. So $165, uh, that would be for our region, which is typically Western Europe. But if you travel, looking for me in Helsinki, if you travel south to Estonia, let's say you go to Tallinn and, and you do your exam in there, it's going to be quite a bit less because that's a different region and it has different rules for economics uh, in the scale, meaning that the face value will be less. So when I book my exams, I typically pay the full price. But since I'm also a Microsoft certified trainer, meaning that I deliver trainings quite a bit, I also get a sort of discount through the MCT program. And depending a bit on on the exam, the discount might be minus 50% up to minus 80% which is great right. because the 165 suddenly becomes $30. And that kind of takes a little bit stress away from me. If I fail, yeah, I can afford to get, get this redone. And often for uh, the start of Microsoft fiscal year, which is July, uh, there's often this campaign that, that pay for one, get one free retry if you fail or pay for one and, and and get an additional voucher for another one as well. And those are, are typically uh, available for a number of months. So especially in the summertime, have a look on those. Perhaps if you plan on doing those six exams, get enough vouchers that you can have this free retry if you fail on the first time. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good tip. And Microsoft partners uh, have a different sort of programs depending on the time of year that they can buy the, the certification vouchers in bulk. So they could purchase 10 and then 
distribute those for the employees and there, there's a discount for that amount. And a good lesson for me back in the day was uh, I bought 30 exam vouchers. They were on heavy discount at the time. And I did two myself, but foolishly, I picked the vouchers from different batches. So they were in batches of 10. So I did one from the first batch, one from the second batch, and the remaining nine vouchers from both batches were locked to my name. Right. So it meant I had to do 20. I paid for 20. <laughs> okay, this explains a lot. Now I know why you have all those certifications. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I, I can admit I didn't pass 20 exams in one year, but I think I did about 10 or 12 that I did pass on that one year. And at, at the end of the year, they were about to expire. I still had three or four left. So I just randomly booked something like, yeah, let me do this uh, super hard uh, designing SQL database structures or high availability or something. I didn't really have any clue about it at the time. So I went in, I just guessed, tried to guess whatever would be the correct answer. And I think I got about 200 points out of 1,000 and 700 is the minimum you need to pass. And that gave me the lesson in my life that you see, you shouldn't be doing databases. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good takeaway. <laughs> I mean, you you bought certification vouchers the same way that I bought domain names back in the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that batch buy. Yeah, but I used a random generator. Get me a, a bunch of random names <laughs> and go and see if they're available, and then just automatically buy them. Yeah, that's a solid strategy. <laughs> so, anything else uh, you want to share? I am all done. No questions on this topic anymore. That was really insightful. Uh, I think that's all I have. We'll add a couple of additional resources in the show notes with a lot of more guidance on on the small tips and, and specific insights that we've had from the exams. But more or less, I'd say try to do a couple of exams a year to keep relevant, to keep up to speed, and to understand what's happening with the products. All right. Then thank you for sharing those insights, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm.